Hi, this is Dr. Michael Detola, and here's an interesting clinical case that I'd like to share with you. What do you say to this patient when he comes in and says he'd like to have some no-prep veneers because he saw an advertisement on the back of a magazine, and that's what happened with this patient, and um, I know what he wants. He wants a, a nice smile, and we've got a good start. We have one tooth that looks good. Tooth number eight is in the correct position, but tooth number seven, tooth number nine, tooth number 10 are on the wrong side of those lower teeth. And um, there's a lot of things you can do with porcelain, but you cannot put porcelain on those three teeth and magically bring them back into a class one relationship. So I knew we were going to need some orthodontic work. So I called my good friends over at Space Maintainer Laboratories and had them design a treatment plan and an appliance for me. And as we look uh, down from the incisal view, you can see those three teeth. You can see tooth number eight is in the correct position. You can see how seven, nine, and 10 are in lingual version. And we're going to have to move those teeth out and jump the bite, as they say, move those teeth out into a class one relationship. And you can see that one lateral incisor, tooth number seven, is really tucked in there behind tooth number eight. Of course, there's a tooth there that needs an extraction, needs a little hygiene. At the same time, and space maintainers, part of their service is to help treatment plan these cases with you if you're not completely familiar with uh, a minor orthodontic case like this one. So uh, we were, I got on the phone with them and we were able to plan it together. And here's the appliance that they sent me. And uh, a relatively simple, straightforward appliance. There's a couple recurved springs that you can see here to do some fine-tuning of uh, those teeth to kind of push them back and forth. This It's not as easy to move teeth with these springs as it is with, you know, brackets and an arch wire. Uh, you can see the screw that's in place here, the micro screw that uh, will get turned and will advance that entire segment of acrylic behind those three teeth. As you look over on the side, we can see an Adams uh, clasp on the molar, and you can see where the labial bow is attached. And then over on the other side, we've got uh, another Adams clasp for the molar, and you can see we've got a little arm that's been soldered on there. We're going to use that to help retract a couple teeth to make room for that lateral incisor. And as we look at the occlusal surface of the appliance, you can see that we've got acrylic coverage over the posterior teeth, and we're going to need to have that uh, coverage to jump the bite. And then they've also sent along a couple of little buttons that we're going to bond to some teeth to help retract it. So. The very first thing we want to do is try the appliance in and make sure it fits in the patient's mouth and that it's not impinging anywhere and the labial bow is not contacting the tissue and that it will in fact seat all the way. And it looks good as I look around and uh, I can see that uh, everything is where it's supposed to be. We've got a nice passive fit. It snaps into place. I always like to, you know, obviously verify this myself before we have the patient try to take it in and take it out. And again, we've got some acrylic pads on the posterior because we're going to have to open the patient's bite if we're going to be able to take these three anterior teeth out of crossbite. But we do want to make sure that uh, even though his bite's going to be opened by the appliance that we're hitting equally on both sides. So we're just checking with a little articulating paper and he's hitting a little too hard on his left-hand side. So we're just going to relieve a little acrylic here and then put it back in again and want him hitting on the same sides. We know we're going to have to bond uh, a couple of little buttons on, which is not real difficult if you're familiar at all with, you know, bonding composites. This is pretty simple, pretty straightforward uh, stuff to go ahead and bond these brackets on. It's uh, probably a little easier than a lot of the bonding we do in terms of veneers and things like that. So this certainly is not out of the skill set of a general dentist. So we pumice those 
teeth first to make sure we get all the salivary pellicle and plaque off those teeth. And then I'm just playing here, trying to decide where we're going to place uh, these buttons. Uh, we, we'd like to place it as close uh, to the gingival margin as possible, uh, as opposed to placing it towards the incisal. We have to place it by the gingival margin because of where uh, the arch wire is as it comes across there. You know, if you if we put it towards the incisal edge, we're really going to tip the tooth towards the distal, and we'd like to move the tooth a little more bodily if we could, as opposed to just tip it to the distal. So we're going to place both of our buttons, apical or gingival, to the arch wire, and so we're etching this area now with just a standard 37% phosphoric acid. And of course, we're leaving the appliance in uh, during this process here because we want to make sure uh, that, in fact, the buttons we bought into place will not interfere with the arch wire. So you could see if we tried to make things convenient and we took uh, the appliance out and bonded these into place, if we did put, uh, if we bonded those two buttons on too far towards the incisal, when we went to reseat the appliance, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't fit. And notice, if you will, the acrylic on the uh, two bicuspids uh, on the appliance. You can see how those are really socked in. The first and second bicuspid are completely socked in, and uh, and we're not on the cuspid. And we're going to retract uh, the teeth a little bit uh, here with the this elastic that we put in place here. So. There's actually a little bit of room around the bicuspid, the first bicuspid that you can't quite see there to move that one back, but that second one has been socketed in. So the buttons have been placed with a dual cure composite, and we're just speeding the acceleration with the light curing unit here. So want to get those buttons on, you know, the middle, the mid-facial uh, of the tooth, and in this case, we need to stay clear of the arch wire. So this is a 30-fluted uh, finishing carbide bird just being used here to clean up... Uh, a little bit of excess cement um, around uh, the buttons. You can see that the patient's had his hygiene challenges uh, over the years, and, and we don't want to give any irregular areas or anything that might irritate the gingiva. So we're going to try to sneak in between the button here and the gingiva and clean off any cement. You know, it's funny, a lot of times you can go in and flick off cement without even stepping on the rheostat, which I tried to do right there, and then when it wouldn't, uh, I went. I had to fire up the handpiece a little bit and clean off that cement. Just want to get it nice and smooth. We don't want to leave any areas where the plaque might accumulate too quickly. You've seen what, if you have kids with ortho, you've seen what uh, gingiva does in response to uh, arch wires and plaque around tissue, or brackets for that matter that are placed close to the tissue. So we're reseating the appliance here to make sure that we don't have any impingement uh, between the arch wire and the buttons and we don't and we shouldn't because we bonded them into place uh, while the appliance was in place and then we're taking some elastics just to make sure that we're clear of the arch wire remember on that Adams clasp on the posterior we had that little arm soldered on and that's what the back of that elastic is hooked to and then the front of the elastic is going to those two buttons to uh, pull those teeth back to the distal orthodontics is just a lot of pushing and pulling as it turns out, and it's, uh, the mouth is not the static system that we sometimes imagine it to be, the teeth will, in fact, move. So we put the pliance in, and we're not going to make any adjustments on it. And here's appointment number two, two weeks later. And for the first time, we're going to show the patient how to turn the screw. We want to let the appliance settle into the patient's mouth and let the patient get used to the appliance for the first two weeks without any changes. Now that it's been two weeks and he's worn it, we're going to show him how by putting this key in and turning the screw... It's going to open the screw a quarter millimeter each time he turns it. We're going to have the patient do this twice a week. And we always tell him it's on Wednesday and Sunday. And the reason we always tell him 
Wednesday and Sunday. So if a patient ever calls the office and asks, now, which days am I supposed to be doing it? It's The answer is always Wednesday and Sunday because that's when all patients adjusted is on Wednesday and Sunday. Um, we're also going to have them start wearing the elastic. You can see I'm taking an elastic and stretching it from the arm on the Adams clasp forward uh, to the labial bow and putting that on. This is just to make it a little bit easier to attach this to the button. You know, the patient's the one who's going to have to place these elastics because they need to t remove them to take the appliance in and out. He's going to wear it most of the day. He's going to wear it uh, about 22 hours a day and take it out just to brush. But you can see how it's a little bit easier when the elastic's already attached to the posterior and on that labial bow to put it in and take the elastic and, and put it on there. And so a pair of tweezers, you know, he's watching with a mirror as I do this, and you can do it with a pair of tweezers or he can do it with his bare hands. Eight weeks later, we're at appointment number three, and you can see how that uh, anterior acrylic segment has advanced. So again, it's, it's uh, going forward half a millimeter a week as the patient turns it twice a week, and uh, it's still fit, fitting relatively well uh, as the patient has turned this and it starts to put pressure on those teeth. It might start to slide up on the lingual surface of those anterior teeth, and so sometimes you have to bond little composite buttons on but so far, it's been doing well, and it's been uh, holding place against those teeth, and the teeth have been moving out to the anterior. Teeth 10 and 11, or I should say teeth number 9 and 10, have been moving towards that uh, labial arch wire on the facial. Tooth number 7 is still a little bit locked out by tooth number 8, and you'll see how we address that a little bit later. And here's that same occlusal view with the appliance out, and we can see that uh, teeth number 9 and 10 starting to move. 10 appears to almost be out against the arch wire, and 7 is going to have uh, a little bit of a problem. So the patient comes back. It's been three months now, this appointment number four, three months since we started, and trying the appliance in again and see a little interference here from the labial arch wire, and it's ha we're having a little problem getting it over those teeth, and so we're actually going to cut it off at this point. It's not doing us uh, a lot of good, and using those elastics, we've been able now to pull that bicuspid back, and so I'm, I'm hollowing out the inside of the acrylic, and I'm going to place some cold cure acrylic and let it set here because we want to add that bicuspid uh, to our anchorage unit at this point. And you can see we've got some cold cure acrylic now, right there where the first bicuspid is. So we're going to lock that in place. So we pulled the first bicuspid back distally, and now we're going to lock it in place, and we're going to pull the cuspid back. And the reason we're pulling tooth number six back to the distal is just to make more room for tooth number seven. You can see how it's kind of locked out there. So look at the space now between tooth number five and tooth number six, and now we're creating some space uh, with a finishing burr between six and seven. So we're, we've locked in the bicuspid, and so now we're going to pull... Uh, the cuspid to the distal, uh, and we're going to do this with a power chain. So this is a, a stronger elastic than we had on before. You know, typically you hooked a cuspid and a bicuspid together. Uh, the cuspid might win that battle, but now we've got that uh, for, that bicuspid locked into the cold cure acrylic in the appliance so that it can't go anywhere. So that cuspid has no choice but to move to the distal. And so this is nice because the patient can leave this on for the entire two weeks. And we were getting the patient back every four to six weeks before, but now we're getting them back every two weeks because this power chain needs to be changed. And you can see the power chain on the right that's been in place for two weeks, how deformed it is compared to the new power chain 
on the left. And so that's kind of the limiting factor here is the patient needs to be seen again so we can replace that elastic and make sure that we keep that cuspid uh, tooth number six moving towards the distal. Again, we're trying to create space uh, for tooth number seven to be able to move that to the anterior. And so, you know, it's kind of like sliding beads back on a necklace, if you will, and to make sure the back beads don't come forward, we lock it in with that cold cure acrylic into the appliance. And there's the new power chain. You can kind of see how it's pulling. You can see the size of the hole on the back of the cuspid there as it's pulling towards the distal uh, from that bicuspid, creating more space. And look at that. When you see that view now, you can see we finally have some space between tooth number six and tooth number seven. And the space between five and six has gotten smaller. You can see seven still impinging a little bit on the distal of tooth number eight, you know, so we do need to create a little more space for it as we push that out. And as we do this, the patient continues to turn uh, the micro screw to advance the teeth. And here it's been three months since the treatment began with the appliance out, patient bites down. You can see cross bites pretty much corrected at this point. We still have some final stuff to do, but there he is three months later biting down. And those three teeth, tooth number seven, nine, and 10, have gone from being in lingual version out to where they need to be on the facial. And remember, this is a no-prep veneer case. That's what he came in for. And we're going to do no-prep veneers at the end to get rid of some of the alignment problems that you see. So uh, we decide that uh, tooth number seven and, uh, needs to move to the distal a little bit as well because we've got that space between tooth number six and tooth number seven. So we're going to move that back and rotate it at the same time just by putting a little bracket on here and then attaching a power chain to this tooth as well. So we've created the space that we wanted by moving tooth number five distally and then sliding tooth number six back distally. And we can see that tooth number seven still kind of stuck against the distal of tooth number eight. So what if we were to pull it towards the back, towards the distal a little bit, towards tooth number six, and at the same time kind of rotate it around? Those would be two desirable uh, movements here. So we're going to go ahead and place a bracket on here again with a dual cure composite. And then just like carrying it to speed the set and cleaning any excess cement from around the bracket. And uh, then we're going to go ahead and place that uh, elastic in place. Again, you can see we're locked in there with uh, with the bicuspid. Not really worried about the cuspid going anywhere. We're going to make an anchorage unit out of the bicuspid and the cuspid, just in case the cuspid wanted to come forward because it was recently moved uh, to the distal. So we're going to go ahead and tie those two teeth together and make an anchorage unit out of those two teeth. So just a little ligature wire being used to tie the cuspid and the bicuspid together. I guess it's a cheap way of making a molar, if you will, you know, because now we have a multi-rooted tooth. Although the lateral incisor typically doesn't put up much of a fight uh, when it's asked to move. Almost, you know, any tooth provides a better anchorage unit than a lateral incisor. But we're going to go ahead and tie these two together. It's a simple thing to do just to kind of connect them and make them an anchorage unit and then attach an elastic to the lateral incisor and retract that and rotate it at the same time. So we trim the ends of the ligature wire and just bend the tip of that so it won't irritate the patient's tongue or the patient's lip and make sure that it's, uh, that it's out of the way because there's a sharp edge on the uh, end of that wire. And uh, just make sure that it's tucked out of the way so they're not able to, uh, to play with it or do any harm to any soft tissue. Just a little extra curing now on the bracket on uh, tooth number seven. I don't know, I've been in dentistry 21 years now, and there's no such thing as over-curing, so you might as well cure, cure, cure. You know, under-curing is a problem, over-curing, there's no such thing. So 
that's kind of a holdout from uh, the old days, and I probably overdo it a little bit, but uh, since there's no penalty for overcuring, why not? And here's the power chain being placed onto these teeth, and we're just going to stretch it from the two buttons that we have here already, and then connect it to the mesial half of that bracket to get a little rotation there. We want to we rotate this tooth in a counterclockwise direction and pull it to the distal at the same time. We've got space between tooth number six and tooth number seven that we want to close, and we'd also like to rotate that tooth a little bit. We want to clear the mesial of tooth number seven uh, from the distal of number eight, because now it looks like there's enough room. The tooth's just in the wrong position. And as we push from the lingual with the acrylic, we were pushing tooth number seven into the distal of, of tooth number eight. And it, tooth number eight was in the correct position. That was the one tooth that, that from the beginning of this case was right where we wanted it to be. In fact, we could, re, you know, if there was acrylic around the incisal edge of tooth number six, we could reline it in this point and kind of lock it in. But the acrylic stopped short of tooth number six because we were moving it to the distal. So again, we're just placing the appliance in place with the new power chain, making sure the patient can bite together. You know, we can uh, almost get rid of the acrylic pads if we want to at this point as well. Once the crossbite has been corrected, it will not relapse. Teeth will not jump, you know, up and over again. Uh, to go back into lingual version. But uh, to be able to maintain uh, uh, the acrylic on the lingual where we're doing the last bit of pushing with the screw turning, we're going to leave the pads on for now. So it's been three more weeks. It's been three weeks since we put that initial power chain onto the lateral incisor. And look at that. I mean, you can see already that we can see the full mesial surface of that tooth against the distal of tooth number eight. I mean, that tooth just kind of flew right out where it's supposed to be. And uh, that's, that's pretty nice to see. That happened pretty quickly, again, with the lateral incisor. You can see just with that, look at with that ligature there as we take the old power chain. Um, you can see the irritation of the gingiva. I mean, you can see where, because of that wire uh, that that's hooking those two, the ligature wire that we put hooking the bicuspid and the cuspid together, you can see how the irritation of the gingiva has taken place because the toothbrush hasn't been able to hit it. And that's that's one of the things that you need to keep in mind uh, when you're working around the gingiva with fixed appliances like this is that the gingiva kind of always suffers. You see it happen in teenagers. Now, now in people who are really good about angling the toothbrush underneath it, yes, it can be avoided. But in the average patient, it's probably not going to happen. So we've got a new power chain on just to get the last bit of movement out of this lateral incisor. And boy, look at that from the incisal view. Look at how that, that really has rounded out well. And you can see tooth number seven now is where it's supposed to be. Uh, just about perfect in relation to tooth number eight. Tooth number nine, you can see, is almost uh, out as far as it needs to be. Again, we don't have the labial arch wire on, but the lip, you know, is providing resistance to the teeth moving too far uh, out to the labial. So we know that the lip is going to hold it in place. And appointment number eight, uh, five months since treatment began, you know, we can see uh, tooth number 10 is a little over-rotated. We're seeing that distal angle there, but it's we can't really pull that back without a fixed ortho appliance. We're trying to do this all with removable, which always sounds like the, the easier way to do it. But you see how quickly these teeth have moved. You know, I put the second power chain on. Look at it. We've, we've basically overcorrected here at this point because you can see space between the mesial of tooth number seven and the distal of tooth number eight. So essentially, we kind of overcorrected uh, a little bit from where we needed to be. And that's fine. That, that will go back. That will settle where it, it wants to settle. But 
with fixed appliances on, like these buttons and these elastics, things move so much quicker than they do with uh, removable appliances. You know, whether it's a clear removable appliance or, you know, whether it's a uh, removable appliance uh, like the one we fabricated here that's got uh, a screw in place and a couple clasps. Uh, anytime you bond something to a tooth and then attach a mechanical force to it, it's a much easier way to move teeth. So I think it always seems like to dentists who are unfamiliar with orthodontics, like doing a retainer to do it is going to be easier than putting on a few brackets. And that that's not true. It's, it's counterintuitive. When you start attaching things like buttons and brackets to teeth, teeth start moving and they move rather predictably. I actually, having done fixed ortho and removable ortho, thinks it, think it takes a lot more knowledge and skill to do things with removable appliances. Now, in this case, one of the neat things about this case is because we're doing no prep veneers at the end, because the patient didn't really like his teeth, uh, he didn't like that they were in, you know, in crossbite, and he didn't like kind of how they looked anyway, we're going to be able to put no prep veneers on after these teeth settle in. And so a lot of the orthodontic finishing that we would be uh, forced to do in a traditional orthodontic case, we're not going to have to do here. You know, you get to cover up a lot of things with the no prep veneer. So you can see the before in the upper left-hand corner, and there's the after. Here's where we started. Here's where we are with the crossbite corrected. You know, obviously that's far from a perfect smile. I guess you could find a patient who was okay with that, but you know, and looking at it from incisal, yes, we've rounded out the arch a little bit and things are in a little better position, but you can see it's still not a great looking smile. We're going to let everything settle into place. And here he's back now, this appointment number nine, three months after that, eight months since treatment began. And here's how things have shaken out. I'm looking at his smile and we have a conversation and I say, you know, there's a couple things going on here. Because we moved your teeth so far out of crossbite, we should really do some gingival recontouring in these areas. We really should make these teeth look the same length. You know, we could just slap some veneers on here, but it'd be kind of doing a disservice and we'd be better served by, you know, recontouring teeth and making it look a little more like tooth number eight. Tooth number eight's almost perfect. It needs just a little more you know, shape in the gingival, probably recontour a little bit there. But I'm checking with the probe to see how much tissue we have. Remember, you know, if you don't want to do crown lengthening, you need to make sure that you have three millimeters from the free gingival margin to the crest of the bone. Uh, otherwise, you'll have a biological width violation. So I was probing around there and getting some readings of, you know, four and five millimeters on certain teeth and so uh, six millimeters in some areas. And so I knew I was going to be able to recontour soft tissue and not have to worry about hard tissue like we like you've seen in some of our presentations before where we've had to flap it and literally go in and remove bone. The Biotemps department was nice enough to make a gingival recontouring stent for me. And you can see as I put it into place, uh, it looks uh, a lot like a product we have called a Smile Transition. And this is going to snap onto the patient's virgin teeth, the teeth he has now, you know, and give us a rough outline of where we'd like the gingiva to be. Obviously, the teeth look big and swollen because it's not you know, meant as a, any kind of appliance. This is just showing me where the gingiva should be on these teeth in an ideal situation. I may not hit this ideal situation, but I just like to have it marked, you know, ideally where it would be to give me central incisors that are 10 and a half millimeters long from the free margin of the gingiva down to the incisal edge of the tooth, you know, and, and going from that length with the central incisors of 10 and a half millimeters of clinical crown, Here's what the gingiva on the lateral incisors and the cuspids would look like as well. 
So he's got some extra tissue here from having teeth moved around. I've already checked, and I know that uh, once I've removed this tissue and put the probe back in, that I am going to have three millimeters from the free margin of the gingiva to the crest of the bone, and therefore I'm not going to create a biologic width violation by recontouring this tissue. And I'd like to get the teeth to be a little closer to ideal and uniform length. So I've gone in with my diode laser and recontoured some tissue where it looked appropriate and where I had the space. And I'm using some hydrogen peroxide here just to clean up little tissue tags. It's in an alternate uh, syringe, one of the ones you'd use to place like viscostat or astringent. And now we're rinsing it all off and taking a look. And you can see it's it's starting to look a little more natural already than it did when he came in this morning because we now have teeth that are uh, uniform in nature. You know, I should be using a metal probe here. I don't like sounding the bone uh, with these plastic probes, but the, the colors just show up so well. Uh, on the camera that it's better to do. But you can see as you push down to the bone, these plastic probes will deform under the pressure. And you can see them bending a little bit. And when you sound a bone, you're literally literally pushing down until it stops. This is not a dainty probing process. Uh, the patient needs to be uh, anesthetized when this is done. And you need to make sure that um, you, you are pushing all the way and you're hitting solid bone. You know, you need to feel it slip through the tip of the probe, slip through the attachment and go to bone. And so it's really more difficult to do with those plastic periodontal probes. But the colors, the three millimeter green shows up so well compared to the reflection uh, from the filming lights on a metal probe that I use those. But I, I certainly prefer to use um, the metal probes if I can. And I would suggest you do the same. So we've recontoured some tissue and now we're just uh, going along and uh, cleaning things up for our master impression. That's uh, the pumice. That's... Uh, preppies from whip mix and you can see we're treating this like a real crown and bridge impression and we see dentists who because they're no prep veneers uh, tend to skip this step but uh, I've got the third hand in place to retract the entire lip as I go around a syringe around the margins of all the teeth that are going to receive the no prep veneers and again it's a polyvinyl material we're not just snapping an alginate we're not just filling a tray and putting it in the patient's mouth and trapping all kinds of air around the gingival margin it it really does seem sometimes like when it's a no prep veneer because there's no prepping involved and no cord packing that that dentist really gets sloppy with their impression technique so i'd you know uh, certainly like to uh, implore you to treat it like a real crown and bridge impression as we did here and took a full arch with me syringing around the teeth, especially around the gingival margin while my assistant put the heavy body material in the tray and uh, we were able to get it back. So uh, it's been one month uh, since the impression was taken. Usually we would, you know, try and restorations at two weeks. Uh, two weeks, um, the gingiva still had an area or two where it uh, wasn't healthy. So we had the patient uh, continue to rinse with the tooth and gum tonic from Dental Herb Company till the tissue looked good, and that was about four weeks later. And I tried in the veneers, give him a mirror. He likes what he sees. He approves of it, and he should. It's certainly a big uh, improvement. I mean, he doesn't have to, but uh, it's certainly a big improvement from what he started with. So now it's time to place the no-prep veneers. So again, the preppies pumice from uh, Whitmix, uh, which I uh, just absolutely love. You know, I we used to buy bulk pumice, and I don't know. I don't know where we got it. If it was from the lathe in the back where we polish stuff, or it's just nice, creamy pumice that's easy to use. It's consistent. It cleans off, rinses off the teeth really well. There's certain situations where when you um, rinse it off, uh, most of the time when I rinse off pumice, I'll take a clean cotton roll and just uh, 
uh, scrub the teeth with it just to make sure that all of it's gone. But that's kind of an old habit. Most of the pumice comes off. You can see with these no prep veneers, I've always said one of the things that I like is you can get the etch on the tissue without causing any bleeding. Because of the fact that the tissue is not irritated like it typically is with prep veneers, because of the fact that uh, you've had some temporaries on. But we've got a little issue, you know, in this case, because a patient, as you remember in the beginning, didn't have the healthiest tissue, didn't have the best hygiene. And we did some recontouring of the tissue, and he wanted to put the veneers on after two weeks, and I said, no, we need two more weeks. And so when we etched this tissue, because of the fact that um, we did do the laser surgery and he doesn't have the healthiest gingiva in the world anyway, um, you know, this is a case where with no prep veneers, you may have to stay on top of that and watch for a little seeping or watch uh, for something at the gingival margin. But again, compared to a prep veneer where you've got dentin exposed at the gingival margin, one of the things about a no prep, that's kind of nice. Even if a veneer were to leak at the gingival margin, which is always a possibility for any kind of veneer, but even if it were to do that, uh, at least there's no dentin exposed and it would just be enamel that was getting stained. So I placed that with the surgical suction tip that I always do so we don't kind of contaminate the cement with our fingers. And when I placed this on, the uh, the Nexus cement is viscous enough so that the veneer stays on the tooth. I take the suction away. You can see it's hanging. It's overlapping halfway to the incisal. And then as I push down towards the tooth, I push towards the gingival with these two pine wood sticks. And um, that's how I like to do this. I like to be able to see what I'm doing. So I do it with the sticks instead of my fingers. And if you put a no, the only no prep veneers I've ever broken have been when I set it directly onto the tooth and then push straight down against the tooth with a finger or a stick. And that's why I overlap it halfway. I put the veneer on so that half of it's hanging off into space on the incisal. And then as I'm pushing it down towards the tooth, I'm also sliding it towards the gingiva. So we're not just pushing straight down on an ultra-thin veneer. That's the only time that I, and a lot of the dentists that I've talked to, have broken these veneers is when you put them in place and then push straight down on the tooth. So that's why I like to slide them into place towards the gingival, as you saw there. And then we're doing the tack and wave technique where we just cure for about a second and a half, clean off the excess cement, get it to the gel state do it on the lingual and then do a little more curing. And hopefully if you've cleaned it up well enough in that gel state with your Explorer, you should have nothing but bonding agent here. There might be a little resin cement here. This looks to be a little resin cement in between here because I'm struggling just a little bit with my serrated strip. That's clean on the distal. Then we're going to go in with regular floss, uh, glide floss, and then we go in with this, the super floss, and or the three-in-one floss, whatever you want to call it. But it's the one that's got the built-in floss threader the regular floss, and then the Caterpillar or the soft-looking pipe cleaner that's there because you can run that through the middle and it pulls out any pieces that happen to be there. So uh, here we are just, you know, you've seen me do this. There's really not all that much uh, to know about placing uh, no prep veneers. It's pretty straightforward, except that, you know, you're always kind of cheating your contact problems to the distal. So always start with eight and nine first. Just place eight and nine by themselves. And then you can place whatever you want, like the lateral, the cuspid, which is what I like to do, and then the two bicuspids. Knowing that, because there aren't margins on these restorations, that any contact issues you have are going to get pushed to the distal, and it may turn out it's going to be the second buy that all of a sudden doesn't fit. That's the Demi Curing Light from Kerr. I absolutely love this thing. Um, you know, I, there, there are companies talking about five-second cures, but I don't, 
you know, th- th- that's not where I'm looking to cut time out of my day as, wow, if only curing didn't take so long. I- I'm looking for ways to make crown preps efficient, anesthesia efficient. You know, my assistant can sit and cure it from now till the cows come home. So it's not a big thing for me to go, wow, I want to do five-second curing. And that's it. I want a curing light from a reputable company that I know is going to work well. I want it to be portable so it can be moved from room to room. And I want it to be lightweight. And the Demi meets all those uh, criteria. With the no prep veneers, pretty easy. You know, you check the bite uh, ahead of time and uh, you'll see natural contact on all the teeth. And a lot of times it's not the no prep veneer that's in occlusion. Sometimes on the bicuspids it is, but usually it's uh, excess cement. You know, I use the Nexus uh, 3 uh, translucent, uh, clear veneer cement, and uh, it's easy to leave a, a little of it on the lingual of a tooth and not see it right away. So that's one of the reasons I go in and polish things dry on the lingual to make sure there's no excess cement there. And now that all the cement is clean off the front of the veneers, we're going with our final polish with our porcelain polishing paste. And our wheels from VH Technologies, which gives a nice high-gloss finish to uh, this porcelain and nice wet looks make sure there's nothing left on the front, no bonding agent, or uh, we've already made sure there's no cement there. So you can see here's the patient uh, uh, retracted right after the no prep veneers have been put on, and he did want whiter teeth, and he's got whiter teeth. Obviously, no prep veneers never look quite as flat in their facial profile as prep veneers do, but it's a certainly conservative way to do it. And when you look at his before, and where he ended up now, it's obviously a, a big, big difference between having three anterior teeth and crossbite with one lone tooth out there in the front to having a whole line of teeth that are lined up. And you can see just you know in that before there, that lower tooth, uh, the way it stuck up because it was in crossbite, looked like a fang. And of course, that tooth has now disappeared behind the posterior one, as have those teeth. So his bulldog look is gone. Really no way to fix this besides orthodontics. It would have been just as appropriate to have him go through full orthodontics as well. Boy, look at how that arch shape really rounded out from the before to the after. That's amazing. Part of that's an illusion from the no prep veneers. But even on the linguals of those teeth, it really did line up well. And we did him a great service. This is a case where I'm okay with that uh, black triangle that you see there between tooth number seven and tooth number eight considering all the movement that we did and considering where the tissue level had to adapt to once the tooth was moved, you know, seven millimeters out to the facial or something like that. So considering where he started and what he had and uh, where we ended up and the relatively conservative nature of what we did, uh, a pretty great result. He was extremely happy and really the only, you know, uh, thing that we did that wasn't... uh, Uh, that was a little bit intrusive was that gingival recontouring. So we got a happy patient, a happy doctor, and uh, I was very happy to have uh, uh, the experience of uh, space maintainers to help walk me through this case. 